Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Matt Harmon and today... I'm lucky enough to be joined by um, one of the. I, I've not think I don't think I've ever said this to you, Josh, but I think you're one of the best like big picture folks that we could have for a podcast like this because you've kind of got your hand in everything. You know the league, you know draft prospects, you know fantasy. You, like I said, big picture guy Josh Norris, who uh, is now working with Underdog Fantasy. Number one, Josh, uh, congrats on the new gig. Number two, how the hell are you? And number three, <laughs> tell me about the, the new podcast that you've got going, man. One, Matt, let's rewind. I thought you were about to call me a friend, which, I mean, that would have warmed my heart. I think I would have appreciated that compliment more than I don't, what you I don't gave want to me. Start off, I don't want to start off on such a positive note, okay? <laughs> well, it's true. We, we actually, like, have not probably spoken even in podcast form for over a year at this point. So yeah. maybe we, either one of us, I'm not going to put odds in either one, have just delved deep into darkness and just have become awful people. So I understand you. Don't I'm going to put it on you. I'm going to put that okay. on you, not me. All right. Okay. Um, just real clear. But two, I am thrilled <laughs> to be a part of Underdog now. Underdog's awesome. Uh, I think you enjoy best ball. I enjoy best ball. I know Yahoo has great best ball games and Underdog has great best ball games and plus a whole bunch of other things. And uh, it's so different going from like a media conglomerate of Comcast and NBC Sports to a company that has fewer than 20 employees. But I am super excited to start up the content side of Underdog's business. Um, some really awesome announcements on the way regarding all of that stuff. And yeah, our first podcast, because, you know, there just aren't enough football podcasts out there, Matt. That's true. Our first one, our first one launches on April 5th with some really, really good guests. And we'll start going Tuesday and Friday after that for the rest of the off season. So whatever podcast platform you use, go and check out underdog football show. If you enjoy this conversation I have with Matt. Yeah, right. Like no pressure for the next uh, 45, 50 minutes, but uh, you got to you got to get the people interested uh, so that they're going to listen to your show. But no, this is where I would have said it's always good to see my friends in the industry thriving. Uh, so I'm happy for you with this new job. It sounds uh, electric and I can't wait to listen to the show and I can't wait for everybody that's listening to this show to check out that show. Uh, but let's jump into the business uh, at hand here. Again, Josh, big picture guy, is going to run through some winners and losers from free agency with me. And I, I think this is – it's been a weird last couple of weeks. I think maybe, yeah. you know, it feels like the fire hose is maybe – I hate that term. I can't believe I just used that. But my, my fiance <laughs> is like in, in job interviews right now and I sometimes like sit down near where she does all these interviews and I think I've heard her say fire hose like – 10 times in the last five days. So, you know, I can't believe I just said that, but that is what the free agency period is. It's like this uh, just nonstop information um, overflow. So now yeah. I feel like we're kind of on the other side of it. We Things have settled to a point, but just a reminder to listeners, this podcast is being recorded at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. on the best coast on Thursday. So if something is announced after that, uh, Andy Barons will be back to actually talk about it in an intelligent way next week. Not like we're about to do. Uh, just just real quick, couple housekeeping notes. We can hit these real fast if any of these interest you. Uh, not, not I don't, none of these I really care about. Um, but Tevin Coleman went to the Jets. T.Y. Hilton's back with the Colts. I think that's the best thing for him. Damian Williams with the Chicago Bears and James White back to the New England Patriots. Do any of those light your fire? 
I want to talk about Damian Williams a little bit. One, because okay. he was a talent a couple summers ago that really, we really like couldn't quit a little bit. And then obviously oh, yeah. it completely flamed out uh, in Kansas City because he opted out. And then that led us to the charge of the Clyde Edwards Elaire train. Um, but I think part of the reason why David Montgomery just exploded last year during his second season, one, I think think it was absolutely warranted that in the realm of possibility his rookie season is going to be his worst season as a professional football player and if year two was any indication that's going to be the truth but also Tariq Cohen's injury right mm-hmm. and so they had no other option on the roster to give touches to in the passing game in second and long situations and first and 10 situations and yes absolutely David Montgomery made the most of that but if we look at from, again, a big-picture perspective, how much really have the Chicago Bears improved this offseason? So it might just be a very similar situation that we got from David Montgomery, who made the most of his opportunity last year, but it wouldn't I wouldn't put it past them to you know give maybe 10%, 20% of his work share over to Damian Williams this year, which we would not like. No. No, that's true. Uh, I, I think your point about the Bears just in general is well taken. They're one of my losers, uh, actually, spoiler alert, in terms of free agency. And it's it's not we'll, – we'll get to the Andy Dalton thing later. But this is not a good-looking roster. Uh, they've had to tear down the strength of their team. And even that's like a marginal strength, right? Like their defense was good last year, but it wasn't really like a needle-moving unit. You know what I mean? Kyle Fuller's gone. Um, they're other than Khalil Mack. I don't know that I like who are the different, you know, they might, they tried to like a trade Akeem Nix. I, I, you know, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a mess there in Chicago. Like they're not a team that I really want to be investing in the running back, like theoretically anyways. Um, so I was already kind of like squeamish on the David Montgomery thing. Damian Williams, I do think is, you know, even if he's like a, a, a replacement level back or just maybe above replacement level back, like that matters a lot. Like you said, he's not freaking Cordero Patterson as their number two running back. You know, this is, this is, I do think a relatively sizable move here. Did not think one of my first podcast appearances of the 2021 off season was going to uh, feature me pitching David Montgomery to Matt Harmon. But let me do that right now because he is going on underdog as the running back 21, Matt. I mean, I think that's very affordable. He's going after Josh Jacobs at the moment. He's going after CEH, even rookies like Najee Harris, who we don't even know where they're going to land. I mean, running back, I, look, this is famous last, last words, especially as someone who spent a lot of last year's offseason drafting two running backs and then wanting to set it and forget it, and that exploded in my face. But yeah. it looks pretty deep on paper because you have the likes of Miles Sanders, Joe Mixon, J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, Antonio Gibson, all around running back 15 and later. So uh, David Montgomery and maybe a couple names we're going to talk about today are kind of like that cliff of, oh, we're going to get a lot of volume here and hopefully – we see more of the talent in 2020 versus 2019, but I'm not like averse of taking Dave Montgomery where he is right now, but that's just speculating that he's going to hang on to at least what we just said of 80 or 90% of what he saw last year. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, T.Y. Hilton, the other one I wanted to note here, just number one, I think that this is probably the best thing for him. I don't think he's at a point. I, I, I don't think that T.Y. is like cooked, like completely done, but I think he's, he's inching pretty close, right? Like to, I want to ask, yeah, I want to ask you because no one watches closely wide receivers more than you do. Um, I thought for the first eight weeks, T.Y. Hilton was done. Was it more just that it was such a weird offseason? It was obviously a new quarterback situation. They just were not hand in hand. And lest we not forget how great and of an impact that Paris Campbell made in the first few weeks. And Michael Pittman's a good player as well. What's fascinating me also about the T.Y. Hilton, and I don't want to bring in another topic here, was a team that he turned down. And that was the Baltimore Ravens. He just told Pat McAfee that about an hour before we started recording. Yep. And that they offered more money. Um, we're kind of seeing the Baltimore Ravens. And Tough the scene Kansas- for the Ravens. Yeah, and the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, striking out on these big-time options that it seems like they're, they're going for, though, but not to call T.Y. Hilton, you know, 25 years old he's 30 plus now i think but right um do you think that that's the type of pass catching option that the ravens should be searching for right now i mean i just have like this internal conversation all the time about like how can the ravens improve and which players they can improve with and what's going to work and i'm not sure if i can really lay that out until i actually see it on sundays yeah so the ravens 
I thought that them being in on Juju made perfect sense. Now it seems like they're just trying to get a warm body in there, you know, with yeah. Sammy Watkins coming through, T.Y. Hilton coming through and, and turning them down. Uh, it does seem like they're just trying to add someone there. But I thought Juju made perfect sense. Like yes. they need it because I, I thought Chris Godwin made perfect sense for them. And when he wasn't available, Juju's kind of like they, he plays that same position. I think Godwin, and you know, I think this is like a 10 times better player than Juju, but right. it's that same sort of area of the field that Lamar works best. You know, he's a tough, rugged player that fits with Baltimore. I thought that would have been awesome. But if you're a player like Juju, and maybe even, I mean, like we said, Hilton, I think, is at the end of the run here. But if you're a player like Juju or even Sammy Watkins and, like, you want to sign a one-year deal and rehab your value, do you really want to do it with the Ravens, right? Like, because not even if you, like, take the Lamar Jackson thing out of it. You know they're going to run the football ton. You're not going to put up big, big numbers there. The Chiefs, right. that's a different discussion because – yeah, theoretically, you would want to go sign a one-year deal with the Chiefs, be in some big games, catch some big passes from Patrick Mahomes. Even if your final stat line isn't as beefy because you've got Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, you'd still think, like, all right, let me go rehab my value there. But the Ravens do seem like a spot where it's going to be tough for them to attract a veteran receiver as long as they have that sort of um, philosophy on offense. Yeah, and look, if all of these deals that both these players were being offered from different places were one-year contracts, Matt, just from a – personal perspective from a life perspective how difficult would it be to move to a place where you don't have roots for a single year because all of these teams are not wanting to give two or three year contracts with the new yeah. media deal coming up right so mm -hmm. basically you're wanting to go to a new place try to settle down try to be great for a year and then get your big contract why not just try to do that back where you at least have some experience and some understanding of the situation. So I, I understand it from those two fronts. And with the Ravens piece, look, I'm, and tell me what you see after going back and watching either Marquise Brown two years ago or, or this past year, like just looking at the, the literal numbers on the paper, like Lamar Jackson has a significant issue throwing outside the numbers. Now, is that a Lamar Jackson thing? Is that a Greg Roman thing? Is, is it just a question that we're asking, like, why is it happening? I'm, I'm not going to say it's because he is bad in that area. It's just a question that I'm asking of why isn't it working in that area? Because I think until about like week 15, Lamar Jackson and Dak Prescott had the same number of yards outside the numbers, which is <laughs> laughable. I mean, it's crazy. Or is it yeah. a talent thing surrounding him? Who knows? I think it's the fact that it's that drastic is probably a little bit of both thing because, you know, Miles Boykin, those type of guys, ne they never really came on. You know, they're using Des Bryant in the year 2020 as their outside X receiver. Like, that's really just not what you want. Yeah. Um, at the same time, though, Josh, and you know this from covering the draft, like, these are the questions that people had about Lamar at Louisville. At some yeah. point, it's just this, to use the Josh Norris-ism, this isn't where you win. This is not where you win with Lamar. That's why I thought a guy like Chris Godwin or Juju would make so much sense because I think he is a very, very good passer over the middle, even over the deep middle of the field. So why not continue to, to do that? And I also think, to the Marquise Brown point, the reason he kind of started to pop at the end of the year and had that one good playoff game against the Titans is you saw them – Using him on some of those leak routes, like get him out of the backfield, uh, doing stuff like that. Hit him with the, they were throwing him zero layups to start the year. You know, it was all downfield corner routes, um, go routes on the outside. Yeah. Again, outside the numbers. And, you know, Marquise Brown can get open. He can get separation. He's a, he's a good route runner. He was a good route runner in college. Like I've talked to Marquise Brown about the technical aspect of the game that he takes to it. I don't think that's a Brown issue. I think that's just a usage issue with the quarterback there. It seemed like they were, you know, and, and this is kind of the Greg Roman experience, right? It starts <laughs> off really well and, and it doesn't age as well going into it. Like also we're talking about the Ravens passing game. Shout out to the Houston Texans hiring the Ravens passing game coordinator to be their uh, head coach. It's an interesting choice among many interesting choices for the Houston Texans. Um, that's not fair to coach Dave Colley, but I, I said it anyways. It's not. Well, fair, I can't I tell you anyways. one single thing about him other than like the many uh, press conference clips that Rivers McCown posts on on Twitter. <laughs> and, and by the way, if you all need to go follow Rivers McCown, who is doing the Lord's work with all of his Jack Easterby uh, uncoverings and videos uh, and clips of that. It's it's uh, it's Absolutely. highly comical. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. And I don't know how much you've 
dove into the draft and I really am just, but I've gone through a bunch of wide receivers at 27, number 27, the first round, that's where the Ravens are. If they want someone to, to lock down that MOF, that middle of the field area, there are a couple. And it's because Matt, what I've learned more and more watching prospects this year, even in comparison to previous years is that college programs are putting their best wide receivers in the slot, either because of RPOs or because it's so easy to manufacture space and targets for a player in that area. So this year, Terrace Marshall from LSU, or if they can move up and get like a Jalen Waddle from Alabama, like both. It's just amazing to me how many of these players I go through these prospects and say, oh, I wish we had more snaps on the outside. We just don't because it's so easy to get them the football at the college level uh, in the slot and over the middle of the field. Yeah, I was saying this, NFL teams should be doing this. I was talking about then, like, 2017, like, working at the NFL, like, with the next-gen stats data and, like, showing just how easy that, like, how much easier it is to throw to the slot. And, I mean, it's, like, it's it seems intuitive, but teams don't do that, right? I think teams right. in the NFL are getting better about that. Like, you know, this is the one good thing I'll ever say about the Matt Nagy Bears is they're great about that with Allen Robinson. They're great about that. Like, that's a good blueprint for NFL teams to look at. But I agree. There'll be plenty of options for Baltimore there. Josh, let's actually get into the meat of the show here because we haven't uh, <laughs> we've been podcasting now for like 20 minutes or something and we haven't even gotten to the point that like, I actually wanted to, to do this is, is free agency winners and losers. And I'm, I'm going to start positive. We actually have a lot more winners on the page on the outline than Because we're positive people. We're positive guys. We're, we got good. This is a good vibes podcast. Let's start off with a winner uh, and some connective tissue with uh, the two of us and our and our, you know, I don't I don't know whether it's for you. I don't know how to say it, but you know, for me, it's a past life with the Carolina Panthers. Oh, yeah. um, the Washington Football Team, Josh. Let me tell you what. I grew out grew up outside of D.C. in Virginia. I was telling our producer Ragu about this this morning. I associate Washington football with you know like the Jason Campbell years, dumping off to oh. fullback Mike Sellers, like. That, I don't know how I became a football fan because that was like my formative years of watching football. Was watching Washington's offenses with Jason Campbell at the helm, Joe Gibbs back for his second ride. That seems boring. You know what seems exciting though? The Washington football team, and they're a winner in free agency with Fitzpatrick coming in there. You know, they have Terry McLaurin, the pride of Lynchburg, Virginia, Logan Thomas at tight end, Antonio Gibson, and they add Curtis Samuel, man. Tell me why, like, talk me down from the ledge about being so over the moon excited about this offense. You got the wrong guy in the show if you want me to do that for you, Matt. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I can't do that to you. Have you interviewed Terry before, by the way? He's amazing. I interviewed no. him in the, at the Super Bowl, I guess, two years ago. Um, awesome. Awesome guy to talk to. I'm sure you will at some point. Um, Seems like a look, gem. Uh, big Fisher. Big Fisher. Big Fisher. Yes. Yes. Uh, Look, I fell in love with Washington a little bit. Like, they grabbed a piece of my heart last year when they drafted Antonio Gibson in the third round. I'm somewhat amazed at how little of a receiver he was used last year. But as we know, and maybe you disagree with that, Matt, I think we can basically toss out just other than the positives. Like, let's keep the positives Antonio Gibson and Logan Thomas from last year, but toss out the rest of what the team did in 2020 because it's not what Scott Turner wanted to do. I mean, yeah. he was handed Dwayne Haskins, then it was Kyle Allen, then it was Alex Smith, like whoever. And then you go in the opposite direction from all three of those players, and now you get Ryan Fitzpatrick. And if I can rewind you back to Scott Turner slash North Turner – because I think we can combine the two minds here. Uh, in yeah. the 2019 season for the Carolina Panthers, I mean, they were fifth in offensive plays. They were fifth in pace in neutral situations, fourth in pass percentage in neutral situations, second in pass attempts. Now, Matt, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, especially with how good yeah. Washington's defense is, right? And while, you know, top-tier talent – on that side of the ball, overall defensive play year over year is not necessarily sticky. It would be shocking if they're like outside of a top 10 unit, right? Yeah, that would and be that Panthers de- right. And that Panthers defense 2019 was abysmal. So, but <laughs> what it gives, what, what it gives you is this mindset and understanding of, Hey, if Scott Turner needs to throw the football, he is going to throw the football and throw it off and in these neutral situations. And that just lines up so well with obviously Terry McLaurin, who is a number one wide receiver, no matter what your definition of the term is with that. And then Matt, you bring in Curtis Samuel, who with Scott Turner in that 2019 season, if any other quarterback other than Kyle Allen, was throwing him the football, he would have had at least 10 touchdowns that season. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I, I, and maybe you can speak on this, but I also think the public's perception of who Curtis Samuel is as a talent is still incorrect because he is a he's a legitimate wide receiver and not just this. Let's use him in the slot. Let's use him in manufactured situations. No, line him up and allow him to beat his man one on one because he can do that for you. I totally agree. First on your note about their play calling, Washington was, I think, 13th in run to pass to run ratio in neutral game scripts last year. You know, even though we associate, I think Ron Rivera is a conservative coach, like the riverboat Ron thing. Right. We, we, we know like he's a conservative guy. He even said once, I think during the end of his Panthers years, he's like, if I can win games seven to six, I'd love to win games seven to six. Well, <laughs> yikes. Uh, <laughs> But um, shout out to Ron Rivera. We love Coach He's Coach. turned it around in a year. Yeah. Even with Daniel Snyder now basically owning 100% of the team, oh, it seems like Ron has turned it around in one year. Yeah, definitely. And I think he was the right coach for the job. And I also do think like he's done a pretty good job of being hands-off with Scott Turner because Scott Turner is definitely a pass-heavy coach. Even even with that defensive setup, even with uh, Rivera's you know maybe conservative old football guy tendencies – this offense was a pretty progressive unit last year, even though, like you said, they were um, really held back by some of that quarterback play. By I mean, people just don't realize the difference between a guy like Dwayne Haskins and even, you know, Taylor Heineke at the end of the year. Just someone that can run the offense, you know, can get them in, pos- in position to succeed. It's a huge difference there. And I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is just going to be like – He's the best. He's the rich man's version of Taylor Heineke, right? Like that. That's mm-hmm. the that's the the dream for a player like Heineke is to become Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I think it's a great it's a great setup there. But your point on Curtis Samuel is obviously so well taken uh, on this podcast. Like Curtis can definitely be the jet sweep guy. Can do some gadget things. But I think like this is how people's brains work, Josh. And and I'm not trying to be like a jerk when I say it this way because. Because we're a positive podcast here. Because we're a positive podcast. But people basically are going to make the association Curtis Samuel bad in 2019 with these same coaches. Curtis Samuel good with other coaches in Carolina. Now back with bad coaches. This is not going to be a good thing or he needs to be used in that way that Joe Brady did. But this is why – I mean this is why I I, I spend all the time with wide receivers that I do because – it's a relationship between the quarterback play uh, and him. Like all of the efficiency stats, throw that stuff out the window. Like that stuff is noise. It's it's meaningless with with players right. uh, in general, but especially in that situation. Like I agree with you. I think they got themselves a legitimate high end number two receiver in Washington again to pair with. I agree with you completely. True. I think Terry McLaurin is going to be like a legit superstar. And I think he could put the numbers up this year. Like I was hammering him in the fourth round last year. And like, that was a Me fine too. pick. I, I I don't imagine he's going to go any higher than that this year. And I'll be hammering him there like harder than ever uh, as a, as a pick this year. I think he could legit finish as a top five receiver. If um, all things uh, break even and Logan Thomas too. Logan Thomas has like all the peripherals of a true breakout tight end. And he did put up some good numbers to end last year. I think you could have a Darren Waller-esque breakout, really, really big breakout this year as well. I, I just don't know how to stop myself from being too excited about this team. I, I know. I, I hear you. Well, I'll maybe rub some salt on it in a bad way. And that's the offensive line could be an absolute disaster. That's and we true. have seen we have seen some offensive lines be the critical flaw on an NFL team and hold them back from success. So while it's not going to necessarily turn them into a bad unit overall, because it's not like the offensive line are going to lose on every single snap. It might just prevent them from being, I don't know, a top 10 passing attack in the NFL. Um, I believe that Terry McLaurin is like wide receiver 14 or wide receiver 12 right now uh, on underdog draft, yeah. Matt. So uh, I think you're going to jump all over that at uh, at some point. And it just shows you what the difference in quarterback play does for certain players because if Alex Smith was not in the lineup last year, J.D. McKissick was like basically irrelevant, right? But then if J.D. Mc- if, if Alex Smith was starting, then J.D. McKissick was like a top 30 option at the running back position, especially in PPR formats, if not a top 20 in that environment. And I And maybe this is a much larger conversation that we don't have time for, Matt, but I also think part of the delivery and what we try to do is at times balance out uh, the the analysis, the perspective on a player based on like the national perspective on it. And I feel at times, 
I don't want to say you and I overhype Curtis Samuel, but I think <laughs> if people just listen to me and you, they would think like Curtis Samuel's a top 12, top yeah. 20 yeah. wide receiver in the NFL. But I, and I, so I want to say that I don't think Curtis Samuel is a perfect player, you know, like Correct. he has some drop issues at times. He's not Calvin Johnson out there. Right. But I would agree. What, not Calvin jo- Curtis Samuel, not <laughs> Calvin Johnson. <laughs> but I, what we want to hammer home the most is, yeah, I understand that Curtis Samuel like averages 11 yards per carry every time he touches the ball. And like these jet sweeps are fantastic, but you can also just line him up as a pure wide receiver and he wins in that environment. And to me, that's overlooked a bit too often. I completely agree. We definitely don't have uh, meta, you know, time for a meta conversation about media in general, but I agree with you. It's like, it's like the old combine thing. You know, you don't count it twice. Like you, you, the guy's fast going into the combine, like, and then he runs fast, you don't then bump up his draft stock, right? Well, if I tweet one time that I think Curtis Samuel's good, like that's the take. Curtis Samuel's good. If I tweet about it 25 times after that, I'm not adding right. more goodness to the table. It just it is what it is. Uh, but you're right. We don't have time for that. Listen, I want to talk about another winner here before we go negative. And I, I want to hear what your what your thoughts are on this one. The Jets, I think, are, are a winner uh, in free agency because – I really wanted Corey Davis to go to a place where he didn't have to be the number one receiver, where he was like the – like Washington would have been a great spot for him because he's across from an ascending, established number one receiver. He can be a really good number two. That's really not the case in New York, right? Of course, I think he's the most established receiver on the roster, but I actually love his fit in a Kyle Shanahan type of uh, offense, which is what Mike LaFleur is going to bring to New York, and I think – I always bring this quote up. I, I wrote about it in a piece that I just published on on Yahoo Sports about like uh, the, the most transformed offenses in free agency. And it's an old quote that Kyle Shanahan gave, I think, going into the 2018 offseason about like if you have a number one receiver like a Julio Jones, you use him. You make use of him or you go get that player if he's available. But you don't need one of those guys. And I think that fits in perfectly with what the 49ers have been. And what these Jets could be, you know, Corey Davis uh, as your Z receiver, Denzel Mims as your true X receiver. I don't know where you are in Mims as a player, but I still got hope he can be a a fine starter. Keelan Cole as a potential speed guy that moves all over the field. We'll see what happens to Jamison Crowder. Like this, this offense actually looks, the receiving core at least, the pass catcher group looks decent for whoever plays quarterback next year. I I hear what you're saying. Uh, I, I also try to, it's difficult for me to understand what a new offensive coordinator that we've never seen, and correct me if I'm wrong, we've never seen this guy call plays. And we know like who he's affiliated with, and it's Kyle, and it's obviously his brother, Matt. But um, who knows what his offense is going to be otherwise, right? But if we do want to go back to what you're saying about Kyle, his, his, his critical factors for wide receivers has been pretty obvious, and it's and I would just say receivers in general. It's the Debo Samuels, it's the Brandon Ayukes, it's the let's get you the ball in the short to intermediate game, even some downfield, and let you dominate after the catch. Like uh, Debo was top eight in yards after the catch, if not top one during his rookie season. Brandon Ayuk was fantastic at that last year. We can throw in George Kittle at the tight end position. Matt, maybe this is just going to bring me back in because I'm a true DGen and like Chris Herndon in 2021, like we all did in 2020 <laughs> oh, all geez. over again. Um, but then I also have this this perspective of like, well, what, what are the Jets going to do at number two? And I'm not turning this into a draft podcast, but like if they're going to take a quarterback, it's because they are 100% sure that quarterback is better than Sam Darnold. And, th- and that's the question. Like, I like Sam. He's only going to be, I think, 23 or 24 years old this August with already like, quote unquote, three years of starting experience under his belt, like as basically the same age as Joe Burrow. But I guess I compare them to some team like the Jaguars, Matt. And I kind of feel better about the Jaguars' offense entering 2021 than I probably do the New York Jets' offense. Do you, do you think that's fair? I, I have the Jags as a winner on here. Um, yeah. So I, I do agree with you. I mean, I think you can kind of pick uh, – listen, just if the, theoretically they've got Trevor Lawrence like – that makes them in a better position than the Jets do, right? Like that, whatever the Jets have, whether it's Sam Darnold or the next best available quarterback in the draft, that's a pretty big leg up for the Jags. But I agree that the Jags have what I think is a pretty underrated group of receivers too. Like Marvin Jones, I know I saw a few people kind of scratching their head, like why would Marvin want to go to the Jags? That's fair. Why does he want to go to a theoretically rebuilding team? I get why you could, other than the familiarity with Daryl Bevel, but like right. for the Jags, that's a great signing. Like he is a, 
he's like the classic number two receiver. You know, I don't. We'll see if DJ Chark can really firmly establish himself as a true one. But he's like the perfect guy to just drop into a receiver core, and you what? get reliability, familiarity, uh, and like a, I think he's one of the best ball winners in the NFL. I think he's always been really underrated yeah. in that regard. What what has Chark shown you in RP over the last couple of years? I mean, because I think we forget what he showed two years ago because of just what the Jaguars were last year, and we all drafted him so highly if we were in on him last offseason because you had to. You had to if you want to get him on your lineup. It seemed like he surprised everyone in 2019 in his second year because I remember going back because I'm a crazy person. I go back and watch all of these post-draft press conferences for every single team. And they they basically said they drafted Chark out of LSU because he could run really fast as a vertical wide receiver and then his run blocking for Leonard Fournette. And that was their reasons. And then he goes out there in year two and like looks awesome. Awesome, yeah. I thought. But then we certainly didn't see that. And that was probably for a whole bunch of reasons in 2020. Yeah, I haven't looked back at 2020 yet, but just on the 2019 part of it, and obviously, like you said, so much so much going on in 2020 with uh, injuries himself and then uh, obviously just a dysfunctional environment. I think Chark's a good player. Like, I think that vertical ability is is really the, the calling card of his game. I think that'll still be a factor. If I had to guess, I would I would say that he probably won't ever be like that true number one receiver, but he'd be right there on the fringe of those guys. You know, I remember the debate last year was, well, would you take Terry McLaurin in that round four range or would you take DJ Chark? And for me, it was always McLaurin's a better player. McLaurin has a superstar trajectory. I didn't see that for DJ Chark. So if that kind of puts it in perspective there, I, I think that's what it we're does. looking at. Yeah, it does. Definitely. Um, yeah. So I, I agree with your point is well taken about the Jaguars. And I do think they've set themselves up really well, but I wouldn't rule the Jets out as you know, kind of just like I said, getting in the right direction, even though at first on at first glance, I wasn't wasn't happy that Corey Davis ended up signing in a place that wasn't uh, already inhabited by a true number one receiver. But, Josh, I've done all the picking so far. So you take this. <laughs> you go. Give me a winner. Give me a loser. Uh, I don't care. You want to stay on the positivity train. You want to redirect to, to, to a big fat no. loser. That's fine. Let's do a loser. And this isn't an outright loser. I am absolutely hedging here. Uh, but let's talk about. The Arizona Cardinals, because to me, one of the more interesting dynamics of these free agent, these off seasons is what are teams with good young quarterbacks and rookie contracts doing to elevate them? Okay. And if we look at the Arizona Cardinals, a lot of what Steve Kime has done on both sides of the ball is corner the market on 30 plus year olds. I, uh, I was just going to say the two that like if this Cardinals team transformed back your when it got in a time machine avenger style and went back to like 2016 or something this team's winning the damn super bowl right and so while kyler murray was fantastic last year and especially with his legs before he got injured inside the 10 yard line it was like one of the most unguardable skills in the nfl he's a true difference maker in that area and then from the jump we saw new Hopkins get like 14 or 16 targets, and it just lasted. But I also feel like, Matt, let's not forget, you know, about two-thirds of the way through the season. It might have been when Kyler got hurt, but we we basically learned that Cliff is a fake sharp in many ways. <laughs> that he he just, he doesn't, I, I, I would never, never put him in the Sean McVay, no. Kyle Shanahan tier of offensive minds because it seems like he has to see it before he puts it in his own game plan in his own lineup. Like he has to see Sean and Kyle create something before Cliff is like, oh yeah, this works in the NFL. Yeah, he's um he's the guy that like, oh yeah, I drafted a great zero RB team in, in 2015. Like I here in 2020, I'm still trying to draft a zero RB team. Like, no, the Sharps, we've we've moved past that. Uh, that's a terrible analogy, but you you get what I'm saying, right? Like, and God, if he kicks another field goal inside the 10 yard line, I'm gonna right. scr- I'm I'm gonna scream. I mean, it's fake. And I didn't even bring up any of these names yet. Like, yes, DeAndre Hopkins was incredible last year. But what we also saw from like the next gen route trees and target trees were that way too often he was just stuck out. On like the left side of the formation, and they had him like run, he was doing like the DK Metcalf rookie year treatment with the guy. Dude, <laughs> it was incredible. And it's like, okay, you have this go-to presence who can win in contested situations as well. Why not move him around? And I think he ultimately did during the final few weeks of the season, but it took way too long. And if yeah. we, the public, are ahead of the game for you, top point one percent of your profession, 
that's bad news. And we were. So what what did Cliff and Steve Kime do this offseason? Let's just talk off- offensively. Well, they went out and got A.J. Green, who A.J. Green is probably one of the more underappreciated players yes. in this era. Like, amazing, amazing. He's not amazing anymore. He's bad now. I mean, just from like an efficiency perspective, I think A.J. Green was bottom 10 wide receivers last year. And that was, you know, with Joe Burrow and without Joe Burrow. I think he had zero yards in four games last season. And him to be the secondary pass catching option, because I don't know how you feel about Christian Kirk. I'm, I, he's just he's just there. Like he's not he's even a at he's a three at best. Yeah, I think. right. He's not even at the, like the Sterling Shepard level. You know, yeah. He, he's yeah, I agree. He's just there. And while I'm excited about Chase Edmonds, while I'm absolutely still probably going to draft Kyler if he's in the right perspective, even losing someone like Darren Arnold, who was their middle of the field presence at least intermediate and down the field, I think is a big deal. And I think it's fair, Matt. You know, not not to put down any short people out there, but I think it's absolutely fair. That maybe Kyler cannot see over his offensive line. I know that that is a narrative that we hear from like old school football minds when you talk about shorter quarterbacks, but this is kind of the first time where I might believe it that he does struggle over the middle of the field, and that is dangerous moving forward. Well, I mean, we're still talking about like when are the Seahawks going to become a good middle of the field passing team? Uh, maybe there's a Maybe there's a correlation right. there at this point in Russ's career. I, I mean, the Rodney, the Rodney Hudson trade is – It's great. It's great. It's almost good enough for me to not make the Cardinals a loser, but I agree I, that was like – that. And I, I think J.J. Watt, like, signing with them, that was – you know, it feels like it happened a thousand years ago. But for the team perspective, I, I like that. I like them bringing back Marcus Golden. I think he's an underrated defensive player. Um, you know, some of, the, some of the other signings are confusing. I think they're just kind of like – I don't think any of their moves didn't, you know, whether it's the Watt move, whether it's the Hudson move, certainly whether it's the AJ Green move. I don't think they like did enough to move the needle on this team. Where I still think they're a fringe NFC playoff team, which is right. exactly what they were last year. Yeah, and the Hudson move is great because it certainly seemed like their offensive line was in shambles at part last season. And Rodney Hudson is well respected throughout the league. And I would even say that for young quarterbacks, center might be the most important position along the offensive line because it can really help them set up their protections much more than, you know, a great left tackle or or a great right tackle. I I guess what I'm saying is, hey, this is your moment to invest as much as possible in offense, a la what the Bills did over the past couple seasons around Josh Allen. And I'm just not seeing that same sense from the Cardinals of like, hey, we're going to take a whole bunch of shots of of these guys that were kind of passed over or didn't meet expectations at their other teams like John Brown, Cole Beasley, their entire offensive line. Uh, you know, they drafted some young guys at some positions. I'm just not seeing that same path to success here for the Cardinals. So. I guess that's my concern. No, I totally agree. I, I wish that they had – I thought they were a great, like, kind of sleeping giant to add that number two receiver in this really fun market for wideouts. You know, I thought Will Fuller would have been a great landing spot for him. Um, you know, I thought that they had – you know, Marvin Jones would have been a super, I think, underrated signing by them. And for them to come away from this period with A.J. Green. Right. <laughs> with, you're basically substituting in A.J. Green for Larry Fitzgerald. That is what you're doing. And they play totally different positions. Like, I don't know, are you gonna are you gonna make AJ Green like now at this point move into that slot? Marquise Colston, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, are, is that is that the plan? I think maybe that might not that might actually not be the worst plan, right? Like, Larry Fitzgerald has played until he's like almost forty years old because he moved into that position. I, I think that more veterans should consider that move, but it's still an it's a huge learning curve. And I think their plan is probably just to play AJ Green at uh, the other outside spot and move and kick Christian Kirk into the slot, which is probably the best move for Kirk. But I still think it's a confusing offense to look at. I hope they consider drafting a receiver uh, early or a tight end or something like that. They need to do more on that offense. I agree with you. You made the point because I'm going to redirect us back here to positivity. You made the point about um, young. Or teams doing a lot for their young quarterback, uh, whether it's Josh Allen, obviously. That's an easy one to, to to go with. Everyone's talking about what the Giants have done with Daniel Jones this offseason. I love the Chargers going out like quietly right away, signing Corey Lindsley to a five-year deal, giving their young quarterback, who 
I think was great last year, but obviously did not shoulder that type of responsibility. You know, he's even in college, like a lot of folks have talked about, he didn't have that sort of at the line of scrimmage uh, responsibility on his shoulder. Corey Lindsley, great center, get them there. Uh, Matt Filer signs a multi-year contract. Like building that offensive line, I think is really important for this team. I'm going to find it hard also not to be excited about the LA Chargers this year. You know, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams is back. I think Mike Williams doesn't get the respect he deserves as a big play threat in the NFL just because he was he's like Corey Davis but a discounted way. Those guys were just drafted way too high and that those expectations have kind of always been on them, but whenever Mike Williams is on the field, he's he's pretty electric. He just uh makes outstanding catches and then bangs his back up. Like that's going to happen every, you know, every uh every couple of weeks or so. He's always going to get hurt, but this offense Donald Parham potentially as a breakout tight end, Jared Cook right. as a fallback plan. I'm pretty excited about what the Chargers have done so far. And I don't want to be mean because, again, <laughs> this is a podcast of positivity. But there, it, it's a major change going from Anthony Lynn to someone like Brandon Staley. And totally. We, we had looked at that Rams defense for a while and said, and they, they haven't had these players for a long time, but I think your listeners will understand what I'm saying of like, oh, they have Aaron Donald, they have Jalen Ramsey under Wade Phillips, and they're not like the best unit in the NFL. How is this not happening? And That's what do we point. think about the Chargers, Matt? Like we look at their roster always and say, oh, they have Derwin James, they have Joey Bosa, they yeah. have... All these players, and sure, Chris Harris, a lot of times yeah. they're on the worst injury luck imaginable uh, and sometimes self-inflicted. But what <laughs> what we also see about this Chargers team now with Brandon Staley as, as head coach, at least defensively, is, hey, he can be creative defensively to get the most out of their individual talents. And so I would expect him, because he's very young, and he's learned this from Sean McVay, who, while he had a good team, Sean McVay tried to make an even better team by hiring these new progressive-thinking coaches. And I'm sure Staley was doing that on the offensive side of the ball. And I, there might not have been a crazier progression and, and surprise to me than what Justin Herbert showed during his rookie season. Um, yeah. Look, we all misevaluate, and I'm sure I misevaluate on Justin Herbert, but it's still not getting enough attention of just how electric he was as a player. And maybe some of it was he wasn't thinking, and he was just throwing the football to Mike Williams and Keen Allen. But, Matt, it wasn't just those two names. Like, he made Jalen Guyton relevant. He's making yeah. Adam Levitan, like, lick the feet of Donald Parham. Like, he's doing all of these crazy things, and that's insane yeah. from – a second-year player that I had major concerns out of, and now they're adding to the offensive line to keep him inside the structure of an offense more often, that's a win. That's absolutely a win. Yeah, I've heard I've heard uh, Kevin Clark from The Ringer basically say, like, yeah, Justin Herbert's great under pressure. That doesn't mean you have to make him play under pressure, right? Like, right. the goal should be don't make that the focal point. So I love getting the offensive lineman there. That makes just so much sense to me. I, I, I can't wait to, you know, talk about – redrafting Terry McLaurin all over again. Uh, I can't wait to redraft Austin Eckler all over again like I was last year and just hope that the injury luck breaks a little better for him. Um, anyways, yeah, I, I love love the, what the Chargers are doing there. And I actually, you know, Joe Lombardi kind of got, you know, it's like, ah, this is your answer. Like, Joe Lombardi, that's the best you could do for the offensive But I like the Saints background there for him. He didn't, he didn't light it up when he ended up going to the Lions, but still, I, I like the... Uh, I like the situation there a lot. Let's kind of go a little rapid fire uh, with these okay. last few ones here. You had A.J. Brown as a winner, and I think this is the angle of free agency that we don't always look at is, like, what is left behind by departures. But, yeah, A.J. Brown at this point, on paper, what else do the Titans have <laughs> in their passing <laughs> off? Well, People are look, getting, it, like, excited about Josh Reynolds signing there. Like, oh, what a, what a sneaky spot. Give me a break. This is like when, you know, it's like when Tajay Sharp went, and this is a, maybe, a, maybe like a. Oh, don't compare the two, Matt. Do no, not no, compare no, no. the two. No, 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 no. Come on. Let me, let, let me, let me, uh, let me, let me, let me explain what I mean there. I'm not saying Josh Reynolds is Tajay Sharp, but this is kind of maybe just a cautionary tale. Like, I remember after the Diggs trade last year, it's like. Well, the, you know, the, the Vikings added Tajay Sharp. Like, he'll probably be their number receiver, number two receiver. Like uh, Adam Thielen's going to gobble up targets. Well, they go and draft like the next best thing there with Justin Jefferson. I think the Titans could do a similar thing where it's like 
Josh Reynolds is going to be their number two receiver. And by the time camp is over, uh, some rookie is actually the number two receiver. So I think they could draft somebody. But on paper right now, man, A.J. Brown looks like he's going to command a ton of targets there. Yeah. Look, this can be quick. I, I believe the Titans have like 150 targets available um, on, on the table. And while, sure, they are going to be bottom five probably in, in pass attempts in the NFL unless something goes catastrophically wrong. Um, that still is a lot on the table. And you have someone like A.J. Brown. And Matt, I was looking this up, and it, this is like the simplest reasoning I can give. We think A.J. Brown is sensational. I mean, he is Terrell Owens reincarnated, yeah. okay? Uh, as a rookie, when he really didn't start get, go, getting going uh, from a volume standpoint, he only had 84 targets, okay? In 2020, 106 targets. What if A.J. Brown gets 135 targets this year? Simplest evaluation I can give, but blast off. Absolutely blast off. And I believe right now on Underdog, A.J. Brown is going as the wide receiver six. Uh, It's tough to rank him above Justin Jefferson, DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs, Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, because the volume, again, in this passing game might not be there. But still, if he gets 135 targets... Absolutely, wide receiver six is somewhere where I'll be drafting him, 100%. You're right. Uh, I think Dalton asked me last time we podcasted together, would I rather have uh, A.J. Brown or Justin Jefferson? And, like, that's tough. Like, you are kind of cutting, cutting like, some some guys there. But at the same time, I completely agree with your analysis. I think he's a, a superstar. And shout out to all the folks that thought just because A.J. Brown played in the slot in college, he was going to be, like, a Juju <laughs> Smith-Schuster type of player. Talk about, like, whiffing on both evaluations there of, of the <laughs> – <laughs> It's a double whammy. And do like two wrongs whammy. make a right, Matt? Do two wrongs make a right? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Or you're just running in circles with bad evaluation. Uh, uh, whatever. I don't know what to say about that one. But that, I've never thought about that before. Like, I've, I've definitely ripped that comparison like a thousand times, but never thought about how it's like, yeah, not only did you get the A.J. Brown thing wrong, but it's like you were, uh, it's, you know what? Whatever. We'll move past. We're, should we stay positive with our last couple well, ones? But here? Matt, let's also be critical of the NFL for letting him get to the second round. Let's not forget that. Yeah, like everyone talks about uh, DK Metcalf and like that was egregious. That was disgusting. Um, but man, there was a lot of – there's a reason the Patriots are shelling out all this money to wide receivers in the offseason because they took Nikhil Harry in a draft that had uh, A.J. Brown, DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin. All these guys we're talking about being so excited about, they took yep. Nikhil Harry at 32. Shout out to the Patriots. Um, yep. I want to talk about one – couple these two running backs that I kind of have on my radar as potential – very small losers here, and we can we oh. can end on this note, and maybe you can help me be positive, even though I'm feeling negative about these guys. DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor. Um, Jonathan Taylor, they bring back Marlon Mack to the Colts. Should I be worried about that? Hmm. DeAndre Swift, they bring in Jamal Williams. I am a little concerned about that because, number one, I think what free agency has showed us is that the Lions can talk about biting, you know, kneecaps all they want. And I like Dan. By the way, I'm in on – I'm so in on Dan Campbell. Of I, course you are. I You're in Dan, a booger, so, like, I don't expect yeah. anything different Contrarian from you. Contrarian life, man. That's what it's all about. I'm so <laughs> in on Dan Campbell. I want, I want that to work out. They can talk about that as much as they want. However, um, I still think that this has showed – this this free agency period has showed like they're going to run out Brashad Perryman and Tyrell Williams as their one and two receiver. Jared Goff's going to get killed. It's going to be a tough tough year in Detroit. I think they really are building for the future, which I think is smart, and that's a smart move by them. Do I want to draft the running back on that team? Number one and number two, do I want to draft that running back when he like? There's a reason Aaron Jones has never been a hundred target player, despite having like a a you know. 90% Alvin Kamara skill set is what some people call it. It's because Jamal Williams like commands passing game work. He commands work. I think that was an underrated, like, ooh, kind of negative signing for DeAndre Swift. Not that I think Swift is going to stink, but there's a lot of negative factors there in Detroit with him right now. Look, I would never draw positivity from this, but it has been um, not even enjoyable. I would never even call it enjoyable, Matt. But for the public and for the Rams – to realize who Jared Goff is and who I've said he was for years now. Yeah. And, I mean, his own teammate now, Michael Brockers, oh, called Matthew Stafford a, a level up. And now he's back, obviously, with Jared. Anyways, a lot of Could you, no, say, just one, one quick sec. Could you imagine 
How do you spin it? That's like, how do you spin it? <laughs> that's I mean, I don't know. I don't know. That's that is literally like, you know, you just got a new job, right, Josh? Like that would be like if you got a new job and in your tweet announcement basically said, This is a big um this is a big level up from uh, frickin' Rotopat, right? And then like <laughs> a month later, Underdog brings in uh Rotopat Roto- to do the podcast <laughs> with you. Um but look, uh, you know, the the lines we've always and we've always connected them with vertical passing and like, oh, how bad can an offense be even potentially on one of the worst teams? Well, look, Jared Goff's rookie season, he's improved a lot from there, but it showed like the bottom can give out if he doesn't receive really good pass protection. Like that's why they created this like perfect situation for him to succeed. I will say the Lions over the last few years have spent significantly on the offensive line, including a first-round pick, obviously, in Taylor Decker, a first-round pick in Frank Ragnow, a third-round pick in Jonah Jackson. I can keep going on. I mean, contract to Big V, so on and so forth. I would say with both of these names, in DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor, while they were rookies and while the investments were very high on both, both teams did not fully invest in them throughout the entire season. Yeah. It took development for each to gain that respect, to gain that responsibility. Now, obviously the lines are totally different. A completely new regime in the head coach and in the general manager. The the Colts, that that is not the case. And, and while I was kind of taking Marlon Mack before he got injured, obviously, um, where he was going in drafts last year because I thought it was a value, that's not the only name we have to Forget, like, remember, and and Naeem Hines. Naeem Hines can Friend be... Friend of the show, Naeem Hines, was just oh, on, like, awesome. last week's podcast. Friend of the show. That's awesome. Well, I'll, I'll follow that up with positivity. He is a difference maker <laughs> when on the field. There were points last yeah. year where Naeem Hines was the best running back on the Colts. Now, at least for Jonathan Taylor's part, he, he put in the work, and in, like, the final eight weeks, six weeks of the season, was one was of the awesome. best running backs in the NFL. And I loved him coming out of the draft and I would expect that to continue and that positivity to ride forward. And if you're going to ask me which of these two players I would take first, it would be JT over DeAndre Swift. Yeah. Yeah. By a sizable gap. I think I'm still more good than bad with Jonathan Taylor. I think the, the positives I'm actually kind of like sneaky bullish on the Colts this year, even with Carson Wentz. I just think it's going to be such a good environment for everybody involved there. So I'm, I'm generally still positive about Taylor. It's just like I said, small worry. Let, let me ask you about DeAndre Swift because these are he's going right after Antonio Gibson on underdog right now. Oh, he's going right yeah, before J.K. Dobbins, Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, and James Robinson. There's an argument to be made, I think, with four of those names, three, a handful of them, a couple of them, of the Dobbins, Mixon, Sanders, Robinsons to take over the DeAndre Swifts. I would take all of them. Sanders was the only one that gave me like a little pause. The others, yeah. I'd firmly rather Gibson a hundred percent. J.K. Dobbins a hundred percent. I'd rather have over Swift. Um, Mixon, yeah, I'd probably rather a hundred percent have him. Uh, and Robinson too. At this point, like Robinson, kind of a sneaky winner coming out of this free agency period. They only added like Carlos Hyde. Like as long right. as they don't draft a running back in the third round, I think all of the like there's been some legit hand wringing over James Robinson. Because, you know, the team didn't come out and say, like, he's the best running – like, Urban Meyer didn't come out and say he's the best running back in the world. But, like, he could be the guy – I talk, we just talked about this offense being much better. Like, James Robinson is going to be the feature back of this offense and was awesome as a rookie. If he makes it out of the NFL draft, he could be, like, one of the biggest winners of the offseason there. So he's a guy I would rather have over DeAndre Swift right now. Uh, Josh, any other last, last things to hit here? Winners, losers, positive notes, end on a super negative note? Um, I'll, I'll end with a story. It's not on this list that we have written down. Um, I know there's, I would say, some amusement coming from the public against what the Patriots are doing this offseason. And I think a lot of that is fair at the wide receiver position. And they truly might have misevaluated uh, the the wide receiver market. But that's not the first time Bill has misevaluated wide receivers. Um, yeah. Now, I, I love the tight end dynamic. And I understand for our purposes, from a fantasy perspective, that might not be the case. Like, neither one might be a a top 10 tight end option, okay? But I'll I'll bring you back to uh, Josh Norris in 2011. He was lucky enough to be in the St. Louis Rams draft room, okay? And Josh McDaniels, this was his lone season 
as the Rams offensive coordinator. Um, they had a name, and this might even be too old for you, Matt. They had a name at tight end named Michael Hoho Manawanui. Okay. He was out of Illinois, had just played like a year or two in the NFL, big body tight end, inline type. Well, McDaniels, if I'm getting my timeline correct, had just ended his time in Denver, obviously after coaching the, the Patriots with Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. And so when he's in this moment, not of desperation, but wanting to be like, hey, prove himself, say, oh, I'm still one of the best in the league at this. He resorted to wanting to add two tight ends. And so when he walked into the draft on day two that morning, uh, the GM said, hey, at some point in these next few rounds, we are going to draft a pass-catching tight end. And there weren't any in that draft, but they were going to force it. And it was between DJ Williams out of Arkansas or Lance Kendricks out of Wisconsin. And they had all these players <laughs> oh, on man, the board. DJ Williams. All, all these players on the board in round two. And all the coaches started to trickle in around four or five picks ahead of, of their pick in round two. And Josh McDaniels walks in and folds his arms. And Billy Devaney, the GM, says, we're taking Lance Kendricks here as our second pass-catching tight end. And the room, I won't say erupted, but their director of college scouting got upset and all that kind of stuff. Look, it didn't work out, right? I would say that Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith are not Aaron Hernandez, Rob Gronkowski on the field, but they are much better than Michael Hohomanawanui and Lance Kendricks for these roles. And if, and this is my hypothesis, that maybe Cam Newton's arm is good for the first four weeks of the season. By week eight, it's not there. By week 10, it's not there. We're going to see a whole bunch of middle of the field targets, short to intermediate targets. These are absolutely two pass catching weapons that maybe not, we won't love in fantasy football, but in real life football are absolutely going to take the Patriots closer to winning than where they were last year. Yeah, no, I, I agree. They're definitely, they're definitely a better team. I don't know how good they are if that makes right. sense right like how it definitely moved the needle these signings but how much did it move the needle i do think cam is like a, a sneaky winner in all this at least for the first four weeks of the season like you said uh, i i think that like it's a drastically different situation what he's walking into now so i agree uh i agree with your point on that the idea of the two tight ends working in fantasy is usually more juicy than the reality of Correct. it working out in fantasy but i do think it's a good move for the patriots offense overall josh Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was awesome. One more time, remind the folks how they can keep up with your new show. Yes, first show launches April 5th, the Underdog Football Show. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify. It's on whatever platform you download and listen to this show. Do me a favor and just subscribe <laughs> now. And if you don't like the first show, then delete it. That's how we should be doing these things. It's not like, hey, I'll yeah. listen to the first show. And if I like it, then I'll subscribe. No, do it now. And then if you don't like the first show, you can get rid of us then because I know you'll like the first show. Go and check us out, The Underdog Football Show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, if you if you like it, go subscribe. And if you don't, just ignore it. You know, like, just delete it and move on and don't tell anybody that it was bad. Uh, <laughs> but it won't be bad. It will be great. I'm excited for you, Josh. And again, thank you so much for joining me on this show. If you're looking after you go subscribe to Josh's show and you finish listening to this one, but you're still just dying for that college talk because that's kind of the thing right now. I don't know if you know this, March, big deal for college sports, folks. If you're looking for college talk, follow the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty from SI. And of course... Follow Post It Up with Chris Haynes for all things NBA. You can check us out on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. One more time, that's at Josh Norris. <laughs> I really just wanted people to hear your voice here, Josh. Uh, that's <laughs> By the way, well done there. What a great Twitter. It must be nice to have just your name as a Twitter handle and not like a, a crappy underscore. To be honest with you, this is not a story, but a magician used to have it before me. And uh, I was able to snipe it from him one day when he deactivated. So but that was about eight years ago at this point. But yes, I know I know many of many of you would prefer to have a, a magician out there, but you just get me and this like I watch football and give my football takes. Thing. Well, just delete your old tweets and then you're making them disappear. <laughs> Well, that was a terrible joke, but thank you, Josh, for pity laughing at it. We'll be back next week, but until then, we are out.